Hi, I'm Bill Holwig. If you've downloaded this, you probably know that Darker Projects is one of the premier producers of high-quality audio fiction on the Internet. But did you ever wonder what goes on behind the scenes? This podcast takes you inside the creative process with interviews from various cast and crew members. Find out interesting things you never knew. Welcome to Behind the Scenes at Darker Projects. This is Paul Mannering from Darker Projects. If you're listening to this, it means you've come this far and you're probably aware that Darker Projects is one of the best audio production groups on the internet today. We produce a range of uh, horror, science fiction, fan fiction and original stuff. Um, I think I've been involved in most productions in one way or another, uh, either sort of part of the scripting process, part of the organising committee, writing, occasionally voice acting, Uh, having a New Zealand accent can be both a curse and a blessing. My interest in writing has something which I think has always been, um, I know some kids say, oh, when they grow up they want to be firemen and stuff. Um, I guess I always wanted to write about firemen and vampires and werewolves and monsters and uh, all kinds of things. Um, Possibly the main influence on my early career as a child was the fact that I lived rurally um, in New Zealand in a small fishing village called Kaikoura, which is now quite a tourist attraction because they have um, a lot of whales just off the coast. Um, It's... (laughs) I guess Lovecraft is sort of the one thing I always think of when I think of Kaikoura. It's a great little town, but um, it's a fishing village, it's coastal, it's um, right on the edge of a continental shelf. So we used to go swimming when I was a kid at the beach in this lovely little bay, and about 20 feet out in the water um, from the beach, the water would just suddenly change colour, and it would go from a sort of a nice light greeny blue to black and that was 20 feet from the edge of the the beach and that was the edge of the continental shelf so what you could do is you could swim out 20 feet and it would go from being a sort of a a, quite a steeply sloping beach um, to a about a 5,000 foot drop off so literally the abyss and that was kind of cool. Us kids never really worried about it. We'd just splash around and stuff, you know. Um, quite famous, I guess, scientifically, that area for giant squid as well. Um, so there's a lot of them <clears throat> along the Kokora coast. Though, of course, you know, National Geographic have seen a few expeditions with submarines. No one's really seen one alive, but they've certainly seen a lot of the bodies washing up. Uh, which is interesting because my dad is a marine biologist by trade, which is why we were in Kaikoura originally. Um, 
and I think he did a couple of famous things, at least amongst uh, marine biologists. He discovered a species of limpet. So we, we have that named after us. I think it's something Manaringus. Um, he also discovered a small uh, sand-based thing, which wasn't an insect, wasn't a crustacean. It was actually an entirely new type of animal, but it was very small and it lived in the sand, um, which was cool. So yeah, so growing up in Kaikoura, we had this sort of farming environment in the background. We had these high mountains because it was, um, if you look at a map, you'll see the South Island of New Zealand. Um, Kaikoura has got a mountain range running right up the coast and the town is sort of perched in a flat spot between the two, between the, uh, the beach and the mountains. And so yeah, it was a good town to grow up in as a kid, but pretty isolated when we weren't living in the town, which is what our situation was. We were on a small farm block. Um, so when I was a kid, about eight years old, our black and white TV blew up. I remember it um, because it was the uh, opening credits of Space 1999 that were on at the time when the, the tube in our old TV blew and that was quite a traumatic experience for a young man. So I had always been a pretty voracious reader, and for the next about four years we didn't have a TV. Um, I actually had to wait for my grandmother to die so we could inherit her colour set. <laughs> um, I was very sad to see my grandmother die, but I felt she left us a worthwhile legacy. So I read a lot. I read everything um, I could lay my hands on. One of my favourite books at that time was in fact a, uh, a textbook for uh, medical practitioners um, on forensic medicine. Now because it was a textbook um, and it was a medical textbook, it was pretty frank um, and a lot of what it did was black and white photographs of bodies and pages and pages of the science and physiology of decay and death and all its forms. So again, that was a pretty um, fascinating and yet quite uh, shaping influence on my writing career. Um, one of the things I've always remembered is, is uh, some of the plates. These were all in black and white back in those days. But um, there was the preserved body of a young baby <coughs> um, I couldn't say exactly how old, probably six months. Now, this kid had been eaten by rats. Um, what had happened, and this is going to get quite disturbing, so um, this may not make it to the final cut, but what had happened, this, the report was, is that this child had been asleep in its cot. It was actually in India, and uh, this picture that this baby was from, and rats had climbed into the cot and actually eaten its skull while it was alive. So, yeah, there was a really interesting photo of what it looks like if a baby's skull gets chewed open by rats while it's asleep. Although I don't imagine it was asleep for much longer. So anyway, that was quite disturbing, but I didn't find it disturbing because it was presented in a, in a very scientific, sort of rational way. Um, so that was a really interesting book to read. And of course, it taught me a lot about what happens when bodies drown and um, various states of I guess decomposition and scavenging from everything from sea lice to fish. Sea lice are little um, voracious little insect type things 
imagine a very small shrimp um, which lives in the, in the sea and they'll strip flesh off anything. Very effective body cleaners. Um, Dad used to put carcasses that he needed to strip down of fish or seals and things um, in a wire basket and just put them in the ocean um, off the Kaikoura coast, you know, just in sort of knee-deep water. Come back a few days later and the sea lice would have stripped it down to the bone, which is what he wanted. Um, so yeah, growing up was, was a lot of books, a lot of reading, a lot of weird science and uh, some exposure to some pretty odd things. I mean, farm environments are always quite brutal. Uh, sex and death, of course, are two important factors of any life. And uh, no, you never see as much of it as you will on a farm. So that was my early childhood and my, you know, <laughs> my psychology, I guess, my developmental psychology. And from then on, we moved into Christchurch, which is a larger city to the south. Um, I did the whole going through school thing, kept writing voraciously, got involved in drama projects and stuff, um, wrote a couple of novels in my adolescence, which were absolutely shockingly bad. Um, <laughs> and finally got some good advice from a publisher, which um, kind of, I guess, woke me up to the realities of uh, what it is to really try and make it, you know, the reality of the publishing world. So I've had very little published. I um, contributed to a poetry anthology, which I... <laughs> yeah, I don't write poetry anymore. <laughs> I don't think anyone should write poetry um, unless they can pass some kind of test which indicates that they are entirely angst-free. Um, so what I'm mainly focusing on now is writing for darker projects and some other audio groups. Um, and I'm really finding that scripting audio is a lot of fun. There's stuff you can like come up with and the whole idea of you know being able to do almost anything and all the set pieces and the descriptive stuff comes through in the language and the sound effects and the rest of it's done in the listener's imagination. So you can have any sort of situation you want and it's so much cheaper than film and that's pretty exciting stuff so in closing to that um, thank you for listening and I would suggest that you carry on listening to Darker Projects because we've always got something new coming up and we can hopefully keep you entertained for a very long time um, other projects uh, 5 Minute Fears this is a kind of series of little fillers we're doing um, and they're like sort of scripts up to 5 minutes long a short sharp shock um, complete story, kind of like flash fiction for the ear, um, which we used to fill out our broadcasts on satellite radio, which operate in 30-minute blocks. And, of course, some of our shows aren't 30 minutes long, so we need a little something to fill them out, which is where that idea came from. Um, some of those are pretty disturbing, but are all, of course, excellent scripts. So check those out as well. Thanks, and have a great day. You've been listening to Behind the Scenes at Darker Projects. Featured in this episode was Paul Mannering. 
Post-production was done by Bill Holwig. This series is produced by Ellie Hirschman. Executive producer for Darker Projects is Eric Busby. Theme music was composed by Oakman's Dreamland, used with permission, available for download at soundclick.com. Other music used was Seraphic, Anaplay, James Underberg, and Devin Anderson from the Podsafe Audio website at podsafeaudio.com. This has been a Darker Projects production. For more audio and podcasts, be sure to visit www.darkerprojects.com. 